Hello, everybody. This is UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer, and my guest today is the head of directing for the Department of Drama, Professor Jane Page. She has an amazing resume of theatrical productions, both nationally and internationally. She is very active in social justice theater and helped create interdisciplinary shows with the medical school and medical humanities. Her repertoire includes Much Ado, meaning many Shakespeare plays, working with at-risk kids in the wake of the Columbine High School shooting tragedy from years ago, and being named Professor of the Year at UCI in 2015. She is just starting rehearsals for a new UCI production of Lisa Balmer's Living Out. In a nutshell, she is a storyteller, and we want to hear all about it because that's what this show is all about, storytelling. Welcome, Professor Page. How are you today? Thank you for inviting me. I'm fine, thank you. Fantastic, really glad you're here. Why don't we just start from the top, when did this acting theater bug hit? <laughs> well, it's funny to think about because I didn't grow up in a family that went to plays. I didn't see a professional production until I was in college. I had a second grade teacher in Wichita, Kansas, who made everything a play. And this was decades ago when this was not something people normally did. But she was quite a joy. She was a first-year teacher. Her name was Miss Shirley. We didn't ever want to go on recess because we were getting to have such a good time in class. So I think it probably started there. There was also a vacant lot behind our house in Wichita where I grew up, and there was a gentleman who owned it. And he was, every day he would be out there retired, and he was like cleaning bricks and stacking them, saying he was going to build his daughter a house on this vacant lot. And I would go out and entertain him. His daughter was an opera singer. So he was a wonderful, wonderful audience. And I probably told him more stories in the course of growing up than anyone else. So it started really young. Yeah. So when you got to college, did you know right away that you were going to study the arts? When I was in high school, I had a remarkable theater teacher. And she was... And this was in Kansas? This was in Kansas, right. And she had come back to Wichita to care for her elderly mother. She was a, a union actress, and she was fierce. And she built quite a program. Kirstie Alley, who was on television, was a year ahead of me in school. So there were a lot of people, a lot of people from that high school have gone on either in the industry or in teaching. And she was the one that helped me get a scholarship so I could go to college as an actor. This was Christy Alley or... No, my teacher. teacher. Gotcha. Thank you for clarifying that. Is Christy Alley, is that the one from Cheers? Yes. So she was one of the bartenders with... Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. Right. Ted Danson. Exactly, okay. exactly. Okay, good, good. So in high school, this teacher really... It was amazing. And we were always doing shows and we were doing musicals and we were doing radical poetry readings and all sorts of things. She had great faith in me, and otherwise I would never have gone to college because we didn't have any resources. And there was a community theater scholarship to start college, and she was part of the decision-making process, and that, that's how I got to college. Yeah. And what college was that? It was Wichita State University, where I went for about a year and a half, and then I dropped out of college for four years. Oh. Yeah. And did you go on the road? What did you do for no. four years? <laughs> I thought theater became uh, irrelevant, and... Oh and didn't matter and didn't make a difference. And uh, I ha was during Vietnam, mm -hmm. and I had very strong political feelings about trying to make a difference. Mm -hmm. And so I left theater completely during that period of time. Mm -hmm. And then 
was going back to school to get a degree in social work to continue. I was working with narcotic addicts mm. to continue that work. And I thought, well, I'm, you know, I've taken a few some theater classes. So I'll go check out the theater department. And when I did that, and this was in Kansas City, I walked into a professional theater company that had a university that was attached to a university. Mm-hmm. And it was like coming home. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up pursuing both both areas of study when I was in, at University of Missouri in Kansas City with Dr. McElrath, who was a fierce beginning person of the regional theater movement in the United States. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did you go from there to graduate school? Yeah, I finished my undergraduate degrees, and then Dr. Mack helped me decide where I should go to grad school oh. at the time. Were you acting in college or directing? What were you doing? I... I got really bored with acting, <laughs> and I didn't think it was... Uh, I loved rehearsing, and I didn't really get a great charge out of performing. Mm-hmm. But I had done a lot of design work and tech work and stage management, and, and then I took my first directing class, and it all sort of made sense. And Francis Cullinan, who was my first teacher, was just very, very supportive and hired me to go with him to work with an opera company, and, and that's how it all got started. Interesting. So what was it about directing? I think it's I think it's being able to create a place where stories can be unfolded and working with a variety of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's just it's remarkable to see what can be created in a very short period of time with everybody heading the same direction. You've had a long career, I think. Yes. Looks like. (laughs) Do you remember a particular production that was like just maybe initially you were really drawn to it, but it became very arduous? Like it's like wow, you know, just not getting there. You know, maybe it was just adverse conditions. I don't know. Anything that you recall is like, yeah, really tough. Yeah, a tough one. Yeah. Um, I think probably about 20 years ago, I I had cancer, and I was continuing to work while I was in treatment. And I was working on a show, and I lost my lead, the person that was really pivotal to the success of the play. And we went in, didn't go back into New York to do more auditions because it was just, it was too arduous given my health. And where was the play going to be done? In Buffalo, New York, at Studio Arena Theater, which is a big regional theater that has since unfortunately closed. And we didn't go back in, so we went with another person in this role. And we should have gone back in and re-auditioned, but I was just not capable of doing that given the fact that I was in the middle of chemotherapy and all of what that means. And at that point, there was one day I was leaving. I had to take a day out of rehearsal to go and get chemo. And I asked everybody to run lines and, you know, use the time. And this young person said to me, well, this is really hard. And <laughs> and I sort of <laughs> turned around and I looked at him and I pointed to myself and said, no, this is hard. This may be challenging, but this is hard. And that reality check in terms of being determined not to let my condition define who I was and at the same time trying to put on a pretty complicated show mm-hmm. in good form was really mm-hmm. challenging. Are there different styles of directing? How do you approach? Is every piece unique unto its own or do you have a methodology? Well, probably both. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're all unique in mm-hmm. terms of 
the text and mm. the community that you're working with, mm. the resources that are available, the space that you're in, the amount of time that you have, which is vastly different from location to location. Mm. I think trying to teach directing, I've had to think a lot about like what can you teach versus what is innate in the person that is the director. And I really believe in really thorough research mm. and really trying to get into the real text of the play and understanding as much as you can about the world of the play, the world of the playwright when they wrote the play, what they had in mind, what was going on in the world that was being reflected by the writer. So that's really important to me. It's sort of, I call that, you know, feeding that part of myself that needs to know so the other part can come out and play. Mm -hmm. And I think that's consistent with projects that I work on. Mm -hmm. And, and there are some plays, you know, when you're developing something with a group of people, which is quite different than working with a text that's already, you know, in existence. Mm. Do you find types of plays that you're particularly drawn to? Good plays. Good plays. <laughs> <laughs> I get, I, I, my, my resume, I'm really happy, is, reflects the real variety, that there's mm. new plays, that there's classic plays, there's Shakespeare, there's musicals, there's plays for children, I get bored easily. So I have a pretty wide range of things that I enjoy. If you joined us late, you're listening to UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer, and my guest today is UCI Claire Trevor School of the Arts drama directing head, Jane Page. Jane has an amazing range of national and international credits. Here she looks at how she built her career. When I look at your resume, I'm not sure if I've ever seen such an extensive list of credits. Literally, <laughs> like I said, nationally and internationally. How has that happened? Obviously, you must have a reputation. I mean, is it just, you know, yeah, something comes up and I end up, I'm over here, and something comes up, I'm over I mean, have you done this? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's... It's a real puzzle. I mean, um, because I've never been, I've never professed before I came to UCI. I've never really had a job. I've always been a freelancer that pieced my life together in terms of work. So how those things happen, I think it's relationships and also people hear about you or they see your work or there's no one answer. There's no place that you go apply, you know, that I know of anyway. And if someone knows where those places are, please tell me. <laughs> and it's what's of interest to you. You know, and I think it's, it's both of those things. It's also making sure that you're seeing a lot of work and, and trying to do the best that you can in the circumstances that you're given. Do you have a directing... Well, first of all, has most of your directing been theater? I mean, have you done yes. film or... T it's, it's been theater. Yes. That's your expertise. Who's been your most profound teacher? My mentor in grad school, Howard Jensen, was an amazing teacher. Mm. And Edward Payson Call, who ran the Denver Center when I worked there as a stage manager, mm. who had worked with Guthrie mm. and was a terrific mentor and teacher. Mm. Dr. McElrath was an inspiration who ran Missouri Repertory Theater and was really the one that called me into her office and shut the door. And I thought, oh, I was in so much trouble. And she said, you have to be a director. And I went, wait a minute, how am I going to do that? I'm independently poor. Yeah. And I have no clue how to do that. And she said, you're tenacious, you'll figure it out. So 
I went, yes, ma'am. <laughs> no went on my way. Yeah. How about in terms of directing hero? Is anybody stand out in your minds like, my gosh, anything that this person does, I, I would go see? Well, there are a lot of directors that I admire. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, we were just talking in a class right before I came over. Emma Rice, Julie Taymor, really remarkable people. I saw um, Peter Brook did a show that came in last year or the year before. I think it was at the Wallace in L.A. That was, And he's in his 90s. Mm-hmm. And it was just splendid. And there's always new people mm-hmm. to see. Mm-hmm. And what's happening now with more inclusion, the landscape of directors is just growing and growing, which is very exciting. And the fact that there are many more female voices and many more people of color directing and mm-hmm. writing is terrific mm-hmm. for the business and also for our understanding of humanity. Is there a production that comes to mind that was like, this production had the most impact or a theatrical moment or very powerful moment? Anything that comes to mind that you know, that you've seen over the years? Oh, boy. <laughs> That's it. Um, I promised easier questions after this. <laughs> okay. Around Christmas, I'm very lucky. I generally get to go to London. My husband is British, and our family, his family, is there. So we get, we have lots of reasons to go to, to London. And we see sort of binge a lot of theater. And there's a company called the Bush Theater in London. It's They only do new work. And there was a piece there that we saw called The Arrival that was written, directed, and performed. And it was just powerful and beautiful and talked about something I've never seen a play about, which was pretty thrilling. Hmm. Can you just say a little bit about what it's about, or is that... Well, it's it's two... Uh, Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, it's, t- <laughs> it's two young men who are who are brothers, and they are... Persian, I believe. Mm-hmm. And the older one was adopted by what you assume was probably a white family and raised. Mm-hmm. And the other brother, the younger brother, stayed with his biological parents. And they finally, the brothers meet. Mm-hmm. And this notion of navigating being brothers, but how different they are, and the notion of adoption and identity. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was so elegantly done and so powerfully done that it really, really stuck with me. Mm, gotcha. And was that just this, a few months ago? Yeah, or, well, yeah, well, yeah. Okay. December of 2019. Okay. When did you come to UCI? I joined the faculty in January of 2012. Did they find you or did yes. you, they did? <laughs> I got a call from Robert Cohen who asked me why I hadn't applied for this job. And I said, well, hello, Robert. How are you? <laughs> I said, <laughs> Did well, you know him? I knew him previously. We were both directing at the same theater Uh, before, and he had known of my work. And I said, well, I wasn't really looking for a job. (laughs) But he convinced me to apply and to come out, and I'd never thought about living in California. Where were you living at the time? In Denver. Okay. And I came out, and it was meeting the people and getting to meet students and faculty. And I thought, well, I can try this. I'm not quite sure how I'll do at this. The charge was to redesign the directing program. And I was like, why would you think I could do that? And they said, well, you've supported yourself for some years. 
I've been very grateful to have an opportunity to try and create something that feels authentic. And my watchwords were, I want young directors leaving the program, being nimble and sturdy. Mm-hmm. So that whatever opportunities arrive, they have some idea of how to sort of get on the diving board so they can jump in the pool. Oh, excellent. How's it going? Pretty well. Pretty well. Yeah. It ended up being that the grad program and the undergrad program are really tied together. Mm-hmm. And we only take two students every other year. Mm-hmm. But the last time, I went through 80 applications for the two slots that we had. And the people that are leaving, when they leave, I say, the thing I want you to have is a happy life. Because if you're happy, you'll find what you're supposed to be doing in the business. And everyone that's graduated so far, knock on wood, seems to be having a good life. And they're all making work. They're all doing theater in some way, shape, or form, Mm -hmm. which is terrific. Mm. And our undergrad population is exploding. And they're working all over the country now, which is just very exciting. Wow, fantastic. How many directing professors are there here? Two. Two, okay. Myself and Juliet Carrillo. Why don't we talk about your current project, Living Out? It's not a world premiere. No, no, no. It's it's a play that I, I think I saw maybe 15 years ago. I'm trying to remember when I saw it at the Denver Center. When I saw it, I thought, I really want to direct this play. And so I'm very lucky that it was right for this particular year because we're doing a season of all female playwrights in the season other than company, and four of the directors are women, which is great. Yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what it's about? It's about immigration and working mothers, really. It really focuses on two different groups of women. One is Latinx women who are nannies, and it takes place in L.A., and the other women are privileged women who hire nannies. And it's, it's sort of the intersection of those two worlds and the notion that women are always charged to be all and do all, to be a mother, to work, to be a good wife. And it's just an impossible situation. So there's the notion that they're both leaving their children with other people to take care of them and what happens when those worlds collide. Sort of a a comic drama, I think, is what we're calling it. The issues of immigration, because the women who are nannies are not documented. So it's a very complicated and certainly very timely play for our community. And that's going to be playing, the run is from March 7th to the 15th? That's correct. 2020, Robert Cohen Theater. Are tickets available now? I believe they are. Okay. So do you just... www.arts.uci.edu backslash tickets. Okay. And how big is the company for that approximately? Like eight? Eight, about eight. Right. Okay. Okay. Right. And it's in a small venue. There's only 75 seats for each performance. So if you want okay. to come and see it, you'll need to get your tickets quickly. Okay. Excellent. And what other projects are you working on, Jane? In the spring, I'm going to be directing for North Coast Repertory. We're doing the West Coast premiere of a play called Human Error, which is a really smart, funny play about artificial insemination and errors that are made. And unlikely couples of conservative and liberals having to communicate and cooperate with one another. So it's how do we talk to each other past our silos? So that's also a very appropriate play for the culture that we're living in right now. 
So that's fairly close with North San Diego right. area. Mm-hmm. Do you restrict yourself to be within driving distance now, or are you still able to break away at times? Yeah, actually, it's been interesting and a bit challenging sort of tr- getting into the California community. And I was lucky because I got to work in Long Beach at International City Theater and then at Shakespeare Orange County last summer and then this show. But I'm certainly still working elsewhere, which has generally been what I've done since I've gotten to UCI. It's so wonderful to get to drive to work as opposed to fly across the country or to another continent to work. Gotcha. What about New Swan Theater? Have you done any work with them yet? Not yet. uh, Not yet. Is is that always a possibility in the future? I would hope so. Okay. Yeah. You are listening to UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossemeyer. My guest today is Drama Department Directing Head Jane Page. Her new production of Living Out at UCI runs from March 7th to the 15th at the Robert Cohen Theater. Now she describes what she looks for when she auditions actors. When you're auditioning actors, what do you look for? Oh, boy. That's a really tough question. I think... Darn it. I promise no more tough questions. I know. I was like, what's the deal here? Um, That's my job. I think... Well, it certainly depends on what you're looking for in the role. But I think this sense of someone really being present when they audition Mm -hmm. and a sense of fearlessness as well, Mm. it's a lot of time you spend together in close quarters. So I think this notion of people that are open and also excited about making theater, those are the things that, you know, sort of are the big overarching Mm -hmm. things Mm -hmm. I think of. Do you have a favorite Shakespeare play? Oh, boy. I really want to do Lear at some point. I don't know when, and it's one I haven't done yet. And there's a lot that I haven't done, but that's one that really calls to me. Mm-hmm. What is it about just the magnitude of... Yeah, and I think it's... I've seen several productions of it, but the notion of how do those different stories get woven together, I think is really interesting. And I think... There's something about the story that's just very compelling to me. Mm. Can you tell us a little bit about when you were working with at-risk kids after the uh, Columbine High School Mm -hmm. tragedy? What was that all about? It was about 10 days after the tragedy that the school, because Columbine was a a crime scene, so that all those students went to another school, another high school, and they readjusted their schedule. So there was like a day schedule, like really early in the morning, and then the Columbine kids would come in sort of mid-afternoon and then go into early evening. So they were doubling. And it was like, this was like the high school that was like their nemesis in sports and all of that, that they were all together. Wow. And You know, the general public from California, you know, you never really knew about that like right. I, I just you just kind of thought Columbine somehow stayed open but of course right. it would be this right so I'd done a lot of residencies in schools and particularly with marginalized kids or um, with gang kids with medically fragile kids I was doing a lot of social justice sort of theater making and there was a teacher who had taken workshops with me and said I really and he was a chemistry teacher and he said I really want you to come and uh, work with our students and I go Okay. And uh, there were four of, four artists. There was a writer, a visual artist, a musician, and myself that were all brought in to partly sort of try and normalize activities mm-hmm. that they were doing. So we weren't, we weren't being asked to address 
the issues of the shooting because there, those issues were so massive and there were so many individual kind of things going on with that. But but to do some arts integration with curriculum that teachers were continuing because this notion of trying to normalize the the culture was very, very important. And so we were making plays about oh, different elements and then you know, if you were playing a certain element, what kind of personality would it have based on the properties of the element? And it's, you know, as so we were doing a lot of things, a lot of laughter, which was great. And mm-hmm. then I worked with um, visual artists and then the drama kids. And and it was giving somebody coming in, not talking to them about the shooting in a way. Mm-hmm. And, um, and of course, those things would come up mm-hmm. uh, naturally. But mm-hmm. um, the following year, I was asked to come back and do a project with a social studies teacher and a language arts teacher who I also had gotten to know about American decades. So I went in then and we were doing these performances that would have like 100 kids in it with the audience in the middle of the gym and the performance on the ring of it and sort of navigating these major events with the kids. So it was was great being involved and I was felt very privileged being asked to come in. I bet. Yeah. How many, so the first time you were there, how long were you there? Was the, It was probably three or four weeks. Yeah. I mean, it was near the end of school when uh-huh. the shooting happened. Yeah. And then there was a break while they were trying to figure out exactly what, you know, what they were going to do and how right. they were going to get people to graduate and, mm-hmm. you know, get some normalcy in terms of how days were looking. Yeah. Yeah, it was tough. It was yeah. tough, but it was it was also really meaningful. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. Can you give us an example of something that had an impact on a student during that time or the po- after that that time? We did it. We did a with some of the drama kids. I think it was we talked about what's a hero mm-hmm. and who are your heroes and when have you been a hero for others and getting to celebrate heroic acts was was sort of a, a lovely way to acknowledge events of different people, mm-hmm. sometimes people that nobody else knew something that they had done, mm-hmm. um, which, which was lovely, mm-hmm. really lovely and mm-hmm. really moving. Mm-hmm. I understand that you're involved with social justice causes. Is, can you briefly just tell us a little bit about one or two things that you've done? Well, what we're, I'm involved in, and, and along with my husband, is visiting asylum seekers. And he, he's been doing that for about five years now. And when I'm available to go, I'm pretty available the last year or two. Mm-hmm. And hearing, you know, bearing witness of people's stories of how they've gotten here and their circumstances and making sure that they know that they matter because a lot of people that we've met know no one in the United States, had no idea what they were going to be meeting. And having one person, I mean, it's one person at a time, Mm -hmm. which is, it's intense. It's very intense. And it's also a a wonderful gift for me to be able to hear these stories and to understand what other people in other parts of the world are enduring and facing. And the notion of how bad would it have to be that I would literally take what's on me right now and go to another country that I don't understand their language and don't have an idea how I'm going to get there or what might happen to me when I do get there is a real testament to these people's courage Mm -hmm. 
and the colossal disaster that is happening in their home countries. Mm. And this is not just one or two countries. This mm. is global. Mm-hmm. And that that time that we've spent and the stories and the people that we've met and the successes and failures that, that we've been witness to, where we've worked on a piece that we did a reading of last February, about a year ago. And we're continuing to do some work on that um, because I think it's it's important that we as citizens understand what is happening one one person at a time. I mean, we we know more now because of news and because of the colossal disaster at the border with children and families, but one person at a time is is very, very powerful. Do you go to the border to talk to refugees? We've been affiliated with Friends of Orange County detainees. We were going to jails. We were going to Music and Theo Lacey when ICE was renting space there. Now they're no longer in those facilities, but they're out in Adelanto. So we drive out to Adelanto and visit people that are basically in custody mm-hmm. in jail, usually once a week, and then drive back. Mm-hmm. So it's you know an hour, 40 minutes one way, and then you wait, and then you visit, and you can't take anything in with you. So there's no recording or writing notes or anything, mm-hmm. but it's just bearing witness and being a friend. Jane, with your intimate knowledge, is a reasonable immigration policy, do, do you even think in those terms or, or not? Is it open borders or not? Can you shed any light on your feelings about that? <laughs> oh, you know, it depends on the day. <laughs> depends on the last conversation with my friends who are being detained. Um, well, clearly what we're doing now is is mad, mm-hmm. um, from my perspective anyway. And I think, you know, there's a need for borders. I'm not saying that, you know, you just sort of throw the gate open and anybody can come in. I think that's ridiculous. But I also think it's more ridiculous to lock people up mm-hmm. and to detain people and to separate families. That's cuckoo. And I keep thinking, you know, these ankle monitors and keeping track of people as you're vetting them and people can be part of the community because we do have room. We do have room. It's a big country. There's a lot of space. There are a lot of different places. People don't have to think, oh, my gosh, they're going to move Everybody's going to stay in Southern California. Well, that doesn't have to be the way that it is. Mm -hmm. And how that's happening right now is clearly just making the system worse. And I think the idea of being afraid of your neighbor, it's just a matter of where you're born. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, you know, just pure dumb luck if you're born on the north side of that border in terms of of our southern border. Mm -hmm. So I don't know the answers. That's not my skill set. But I know that what we're doing now is not what the America is that I was raised to believe in. Mm. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, the UCI Conversation Show. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer. My guest today is UCI Drama Department Directing Head Jane Page. Here she talks about receiving the 2015 UCI Professor of the Year Award for the entire university. A huge honor. Now back to the interview. Well, taking a different turn, you were named 
2015 UCI Professor of the Year. Uh, was there only one professor? You yeah, might, well, I, th I how, thought it was what? crazy. I thought it was a mistake. I, well, I got this email, yeah. and I looked at it, and I was like, what? Who was it from? I can't remember, yeah, but okay. I thought, well, sh you know, and I went into our chair, and I said, yeah, what's, this? Well, you know, what's, what's up with this? Because I'm not used to academia. Mm -hmm. And... And he said, well, what do you think it is? And I said, well, I don't know. Is this, is this for something here? You know, is this something I got in our department? He goes, oh, no. And I went, oh. And I'm like, in the school of the arts? And he goes, oh, oh, no. And I went, what? And I read it again, and I was like, what does this mean? And he goes, you're the professor of the year for the UCI. And I was like, how did that happen? <laughs> and I have, I mean, I have no idea. And it was, I'm very humbled and grateful and totally surprised, totally gobsmacked that that I was acknowledged. And then I looked, started looking at people who had gotten it, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is rather astonishing. <laughs> uh-huh. I bet. Yeah. Did they articulate parameters or definitions? When or? I went to the event, there was a PowerPoint of projects that I'd done and the notion of what I'd, opportunities I'd opened up for students. And I had just sort of hit feet on the ground and just sort of was working as fast as I could and as hard and as to try and, you know, think about how are we going to train directors and how do we do this with undergrads and grads and what does that mean and asking lots of questions and trying to understand how a university works or why do we do it that way? Can someone help me understand? Because it was really like landing on another planet. And it, it was an, because I didn't know how long I would stay, you know, because I thought, well, if I'm no good at this. I can go back to my house in Denver and be fine. And it was it it helped me stay because uh, I thought I must be doing something right, right, which was lovely. So it was it was really shocking to me, uh, and and lovely. Uh, yeah, you know, both of us have some miles under our belts. <laughs> Do you have any advice to your younger self? My advice to my younger self? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Oh. I promised you easier questions. I was going to go, I don't know if I can answer this. <laughs> um, probably not to be so hard on myself mm -hmm. in terms of feeling like I'm never doing enough. I have a, a lot of issues around that of, you know, you have only, you know, I always tell students, I go, you can always make more money, you can't make more time. Be mindful of the fact that, you know, the content of your character is how you spend your time. And, the you know, helping others is one of the most important things you can do. And creating opportunities for others is a huge thing you can do when you're in a position with some power. Mm -hmm. And I understand that that I have some of that, and I'm really trying to make sure that I'm I'm opening as many doors as I can for as many people as I can. But it also means that I'm here all the time. <laughs> and one of the chairs was said to me, you've really got to not think of this as a sprint, but as a longer run. And I'm not good at that mm -hmm. because I've not had the opportunity to have tra traditional jobs where you have the security of employment. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's one thing I wished I had heeded earlier in my time. Mm -hmm. I'm still not very good at that. Mm -hmm. How about the interdisciplinary shows? Like you've worked with the medical school and medical humanities. Is that correct? Well, I did some work in the medical school. That was project or two. 
there's been projects that I've gotten to do with the scientists, thankfully to Michael Denon, getting to know him, getting to know a lot of the scientists on campus and creating theater pieces about them and about what their projects are. The opportunity to do what's called the Cheater Defeaters Project, which is about academic integrity that we've done in the last maybe four years in the summer as SPOP in terms of creating a theater piece that's a conversation starting about academic issues and integrity issues for incoming students. And that's been great fun and I think has been really successful and a great service sort of to the general campus. And that continues? Yeah, it has. We've done, I've just sent an email to say, are we doing this this summer or not? You know, just sort of every year we kind of go, do we want to continue this? Is this something, you know, that's useful? But that's been really fun. Mm. Neat. Are you familiar with Stud Strickle? Yes. You, you remind me of <laughs> his insights into people. Do you, do you get that correlation? Well, first of all, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I remember when I was in undergrad school of taking some of his pieces and creating a, a theater montage of some of his characters that he interviewed. And I appreciate the fact that the books that I'm familiar with really cover a broad spectrum of mm. humanity. Mm. I think that really is something that I feel strongly about and that I think our campus with the diversity of people and variety of students, we have a wealth of stories to be heard in our community. Mm-hmm. Anything that's percolating for the future that you're like, yeah, yeah, I can't wait to do this or can't. I don't know, you could be here at UCI or could be on a vacation. What's percolating <laughs> for you, Jane? <laughs> What's percolating? That's a real, I haven't had time to percolate. <laughs> I'm just hoping to have a great experience uh, on these next couple of projects. Mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to that. And I guess the most important thing is percolating is one of the people that I've been visiting is having her final hearing on Tuesday about her status. And I'm really hoping that she is released. And that's the probably the most important thing that I'm thinking about right now. Well, Jane Page, thank you so much for spending the time with us, giving us insights into directing and your life, storytelling, and uh, humanity. Thank you for inviting me.